Exploring the Word is brought to you by Reclaiming America for Christ and the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. This is Pastor Paul Blair. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 26. We'll be reading our scripture text from verses 69 through 75. Well, today is one of those sermons where we learn how not to do something. And this is certainly something we don't want to be guilty of doing. Let's take a look at the Apostle Peter's life at a time where he made some serious mistakes and try to learn from them so we don't duplicate them. Today's message is entitled, How to Fail the Lord. We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We invite you to join with us for today's Exploring the Word. Here's Pastor Paul Blair. We'll be in Matthew chapter 26, read a passage of scripture beginning in verse 69. Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him, saying, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by and said to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thy speech betrayeth thee, or gives evidence, or makes manifest of it. Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is looking out over the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. This is looking back to the west. Very famous picture from this terrace here that we're standing on where you see a lot of media personalities do interviews. The Golden Dome of the Rock is actually back this direction, just a couple of hundred feet. This is the foundation where the temple once stood. This part here was the original Zion, the city of David, with the temple up here at the top, and the city expanded uh, throughout the ages. You'll see this building here. This marks the spot where it is believed that Jesus celebrated that Passover Seder and instituted the Lord's Supper service at this particular location. If you look down, let's see if I can find it on this map. Well, I can't seem to see. Oh, right here. At this spot here is Caiaphas's palace. There's a church there now on that location, but there's still some of the ruins of the high priest Caiaphas's palace there. It is here that Jesus had the Lord's Supper, washed his disciples feet and then through some path either through this direction or through this direction came across the Kidron Valley and over here to the right probably another uh, three or four or five hundred feet and up this Mount of Olives which we are standing on where this picture is taken was Gethsemane. It was there that Jesus prayed into the later parts of the evening and where they came and arrested him taking him back here to Caiaphas's palace the first of his stops that night. Go ahead and go to the next slide, Brother Dan. This is a 
better shot of that location. You see here on the top of this church, you see the rooster marking the spot where Peter denied the Lord uh, three times before the cock crew twice. Go ahead and go to the next slide. This is down underneath. There was actually a pit, chambers down underneath here. It's believed that this is where Jesus would have been held, where he would have been mocked, tied up. You can see the holes carved into the stone here, and there are other places around the walls where a man would be tied or chained and held in bondage. It's believed that Jesus would have been held here and was beaten here. It's believed that uh, Peter and John also were arrested and held here for periods of time. Go ahead and go to the next slide. These steps actually date back 2,000 years. It is these steps right adjacent to Caiaphas' palace and somewhere in this area where Peter would have been amongst that group of people that were a part of the arresting officers and a part of the servants of the high priests in the wee hours of that morning when Jesus was ultimately falsely tried and crucified. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Here is a shot looking down from the top of that stairwell, looking out across. You can see the Mount of Olives here off in the distance in the Kidron Valley up over here. We all know the story. Sometime around Caiaphas' palace, while Jesus was being falsely accused and beaten within, Peter was noticed by a young woman, a servant of the high priest. She said, you, I recognize you. You were with Jesus, and all eyes would have turned to gaze at, Jesus, at Peter. And Peter said, what? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the man. The gospel accounts tell us that he quickly moved away to another part of the palace. When he was noticed by another, he said, I know you. Another maid said this. You were with Jesus of Nazareth, to which, Jesus, to which Peter swore, I don't know the man. A while passed, and another, it's believed by reading the gospel accounts that this one was one of the arresting officers, perhaps even the man whose ear Peter had cut off early, that Jesus had healed it, said to him, your speech gives you away, you're a Galilean. Well, if his speech was what gave him away, then it would be his speech that allowed him to be set free, and the Bible says that Peter then cursed and swore. It's interesting, the root word of that word translated curse is the word anathema. What did Peter say? What did he say about Jesus? How insistent was he in denying that he had any relationship with this man? It's amazing that here was Peter, who was one of the first disciples that began to follow Jesus at the very outset. Peter was one of those that heard John the Baptist point and say, Behold, the Lamb of God. Peter, whom over those three years saw Jesus heal blind eyes and open deaf ears and, and raise the lame uh, from their beds of affliction. Peter, who had seen Jesus, who had authority over demons, who had seen Jesus, who had authority over nature as he stilled storms at sea. Peter, who had seen Jesus raise dead bodies back to life. Peter, who had seen Jesus transfigured with Moses and Elijah in his glorified body. Peter, who had not only seen Jesus walk on the Sea of Galilee, yet Peter himself took a few steps 
walking on the Sea of Galilee. How is it that a man who walked so closely with Jesus in such close fellowship, how could he so blatantly and completely deny his Lord? Well, it didn't just happen all of a sudden. There were a series of steps that led to Peter's famous denial. If we can identify these steps and understand them, then we can have a better chance of recognizing them when we see them crop up in our own lives and hopefully avoid making the same mistakes. The first mistake that we see recorded in this passage of Scripture was that Peter argued with the Word of God. Early on in the course of this evening, while they were still at the Seder, Jesus had stated in verse 31 that they would all abandon him that night. Then he quoted a passage of Scripture prophetically speaking of this night from Zechariah chapter 13 where it says the sheep would abandon their shepherd. Jesus quoted the Scripture. Jesus spoke a truth. Yet Peter argued with him and said, Oh, they, pointing to the others, might all leave you, Lord, but I'll never leave you. I'll die if I have to. Was he noble? Possibly. Was he prideful? Probably. But note that we never win when we argue with the Word of God. How often do you see people say such things? Well, I know the Bible says this about this particular issue, but I really feel that I can do that and get away with it. And what happens? Disaster. Heartache. Folks, when the Lord gives us warning, we need to heed that warning and listen to the Word of God. Don't argue. Two examples I'd placed in my notes that we're most guilty of as Christians. Well, I don't need to go to church. That's funny. The Bible commands us that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But you say, oh, I don't need to go to church. Oh, I can pray out on the fishing boat. Yeah, you could, but do you? Oh, I can study the Bible while I'm away at the cabin at the lake. Yeah, you could, but how, how, how well does that go? You do it once, maybe twice. And then next thing you know, you're sleeping through that time and immediately turning on the television. Oh, I can listen to Charles Stanley on television. Uh, Yeah, but do you? Typically, you'll turn on the TV and find the NFL pregame shows. Folks, God knows what he's talking about. And you need to be in church every time our doors are opened, if feasible. Why? To hear the preaching? Yes, that's part of it. To hear the Sunday school teaching? Yes, that's part of it. But it says in Hebrews, part of the reason we need to gather together as a body is to observe one another. In other words, accountability. I've got to be honest with you. I don't trust myself. I need Christians to keep an eye on me. And if they start to see something in me that shouldn't be there, I need a Christian brother to hug me around the neck and say, Pastor, let's talk. The other thing we need as far as gathering together is exhortation. Hey, you get beat up sometimes when you're out there in the world. When you go to a school that teaches atheism and calls it evolution and calls it science, and you stand for creation, especially in our public universities, you are going to get the daylights beat out of you by most professors as they take cheap shots. You need this church. You need encouragement. But that's one of the excuses that we use. Oh, I don't need to go to church. Well, that's interesting. God's word says otherwise. I'll stand on God's word. Another illustration where we so commonly make this mistake and then wind up in my office uh, asking to help put the pieces back together is when a a Christian will say, well, I'm, I'm dating somebody now. And I'll say, well, are they a Christian? Oh, I'm not sure. But they're just beautiful. God will understand 
Now, the Bible says that we're not to be unequally yoked together, believers with unbelievers. Oh, but, but God, she's just gorgeous. I'll change her. Yeah, sure you will. But dear God, I've got him going to church with me now these days. I'll change him. No, you won't. Understand that you're operating on two different moral codes. What is right and wrong for you might not necessarily be right and wrong for that other person. If you disobey the clear instruction of the Word of God, you'll find yourself in an uncomfortable and compromising situation that could result in a life-changing mistake. You say, well, we'll we'll get married. I'll change them. No, you won't. Folks, there's no compromise on the important things. When you get married and you take up residence with one another, there are things that aren't important that you make compromises over. What color are we going to paint the kitchen? What, What kind of wallpaper will we put in the bathroom? That's not important. You can compromise. Which way the toilet paper hangs on the toilet paper roll? That's always a crisis. Pastor, we've had our first argument. What is it? What is it? Come to my office immediately. Well, I think it ought to hang under, and he thinks it ought to hang. Those aren't important. However, our foundation for life, which is the Word of God, you cannot compromise on that. And Amos, the prophet, says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is they can't. If one is walking this direction and one is walking the other direction, they cannot walk together. The first mistake on Peter's road to denial was arguing with the Word of God. The first mistake that we will make is saying, Well, Lord, I know you say this, but I think my way is better. It's funny, God testifies of himself in Isaiah. He says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. The second mistake that Peter made was that he boasted of himself. He said, these others may fail you, Lord, but I'll never fail you. Folks, watch out. When you start to boast in your own strength, then you start to get careless. You'll begin to take chances, thinking, well, others have failed with this temptation, but I'm too strong to fail for that temptation. Ladies and gentlemen, never boast in your own strength. I'm humbled to consider the story of David, the only man in the Bible that is described as being a man after God's own heart. Yet David, at a period of prosperity, became complacent, And while David's armies were off fighting the Ammonites, David chose to stay home and revel in all his glory. David stood on his rooftop and gazed out over his kingdom and looked down and saw the residence of one of his mighty men of valor, one of the most important men in his military, the special forces, the Green Beret, the the Navy SEALs, whatever, the Marine Corps, the, the the most loyal, mighty men that he depended upon. He knew exactly who this man was. There was only 30 or 40 that were considered mighty men of valor. He looked down and he saw the wife of one of those men, Bathsheba, and he called for her because he lusted in his heart and he had a terrible relationship with her that resulted in a pregnancy. He called Uriah back trying to cover up that pregnancy, but Uriah was more noble than David, and Uriah refused to, sit in a, to be in a comfortable relationship with his wife while his own brethren were off at the war. David ultimately sent orders with Uriah, instructing Joab to take Uriah and put him in the heart of the battle 
the heat of the, the, the very hottest spot. I'm sure Uriah had been there many times. But, but Joab was also given instructions. Once he's there engaged, then you pull back and you leave him, resulting in his death. Folks, there's a lot of terrible sins. But two of the most that I, I can't fathom, one of which is murder of innocent life. Another is adultery. You know, to break your marital covenant and to be untrue to that one which is flesh of your flesh and bone of your bones and contrary to what they said about President Clinton years ago, oh, he may, he may cheat on his wife, but he can govern well, hogwash. If you can lie to your wife, then you can lie to me. But here was David, a man after God's own heart, yet David didn't watch his P's and Q's. The next thing you know, David committed adultery and David committed murder. Ladies and gentlemen, don't you think for one minute that you in your own strength are capable of resisting the temptations that the devil will throw at you. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, he said, I know that in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Jeremiah said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You alone, I alone, am no match for the devil. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Don't boast in your own strength, but instead walk humbly in the power of the Holy Spirit, girded up with the armor of God. Third mistake that Peter made was that he didn't watch and pray. When they arrived in Gethsemane, Jesus said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. But they didn't neither. They slumbered instead. Recognize, as we just mentioned, our flesh is weak. Our flesh is not trustworthy. Victory comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't just happen. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit the moment that we're born again. However, we as Christians are commanded to be filled by or to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. How does that happen? One is prayer. The passages in Matthew and in Luke where Jesus teaches on, on ask, seek, and find. He's dealing with wisdom and the Holy Spirit. Look in Luke eleven thirteen. Well, don't look. I, I think I've got it up here. Yes, I do. Very good. Luke eleven thirteen 13 says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? James says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Jesus said, Watch and pray that you enter not in temptation. They didn't pray. We must pray and ask for God's direction. We must pray and ask for God's defense against the attacks of Satan. Then we're to watch. We're to stand our post. We're to stand watch. We're to follow the instructions our commander has given us. Folks, these are some very simple steps. I trust, I hope that you'll write them down if you have not heard this before. We presented this, I believe, when we were going through Galatians, possibly when we went through the Holy Spirit. But if you ignore this, you will fail. You will be just like Peter. Oh, I'll not deny you. Yeah, you will. Here's the instructions. First of all, it says in Ephesians 5, 18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That word filled is the Greek word pleruo. It means to be crammed full. In other words, you need to be crammed full of the Bible. You need to be crammed full of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You need to be crammed full of, of Bible preaching and Bible teaching. 
And when it comes time to making a decision about how you should react in a situation, you won't reach in and grab something that you saw on, on I don't know, some television program. You won't grab some secular knowledge from the local pop psychiatrist or psychologist. You'll be grabbing from the Word of God when it comes time to making that decision. When it comes time to discipline your child, when it comes time to conducting yourself as a husband, when it comes time to conducting yourself as a wife, you'll reach in and you'll grab from the knowledge which God has given you and not from Dr. Phil or Oprah or any other sage of this world. Number two is to be in church. We've already covered that issue. You need to be held accountable. You need to be encouraged. Number three is avoid the very appearance of evil. Do you know if we practice this how much less we would sin? If we literally avoided any area that could lead to temptation or could lead to problems, as we look down the lines, well, if I go there, I might get into trouble. I'm not going to go there. Guess what? If we avoid the very appearance of evil, then we will also avoid the opportunity to do evil. The Bible also says to flee fornication. That word fornication is pornea. That means everything that's pornographic. What's the Bible say? Run from it. You see a dirty magazine, you run from it. You don't even, hey, you, you turn your eyes the other way. When we got, this, this year, we got the, I take Sports Illustrated. I never remember to get, to get rid of that swimsuit issue. It came this year, it came in the mail. I grabbed it, went in the trash can, put it in the trash can. Why? I don't trust myself. I don't want that laying around. It immediately went in the garbage. And I also didn't tell my sons that we'd gotten the issue either because I don't trust them. I trust them less than I trust me. Avoid the very appearance. You don't need those pictures. If there's a television program that's suggestive, you turn it off. If you can't get control of your computer, if the Internet is a, is a hallway to, the, to pornography, then you get the computer out of your house. Don't listen to music that leads you towards that temptation. We have, I have seen in the last year, a young, a young person that has significantly damaged their witness and walk because of rap music. If there's graphic stories, you get them out. Flee, run from it. Don't even be anywhere near it. Fifth thing, Paul says, instead of that kind of mindset, think on good things. Why is it important to think on good things? Because the Bible says that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Sin begins here. Once you've accepted it here, then it will come out here. Paul said in Philippians 4, 8, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are of good report, these things that you have heard and seen in me, do. Instead of filling your mind with this garbage, fill your mind with spiritual things, wonderful things, justice, kindness, love. Sixth thing, resist the devil. Was it Mrs. Reagan that's had the Just Say No campaign? Boy, how simple that is. Well, the devil made me do it. Not if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, he's got no control. He's got no authority over you unless you give him that control. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You're a child of God. The devil is going to tempt you. Guess what you do when the devil tempts you? Just say no. Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Bible says number seven of these, these, these points here as far as being filled with under the control of the Holy Spirit, take every thought captive. Why? Because thought, actions begin with the thought. 
2 Corinthians 10, 12 says that we are bringing, to bring every thought into submission to the authority of the Word of God. Folks, if you, are, if, you, if you know right and wrong so well right here, then you will be able to instinctively react when faced with that opportunity. And just as like we've got many soldiers and former soldiers and Marines and former Marines, you go through all those weeks of basic training and continued training. Why? So that when you're in the heat of the battle, you don't have to think about what to do. You naturally, instinctively react. We do these things. We know right and wrong, and it's so well established that in the heat of the moment, in the heat of battle, we can instinctively make the choice that God would have us to make. Watch and pray. Fourth mistake that Peter made was this. He didn't get his way, and he got mad about it. When they came to arrest Jesus, Peter drew out his sword and tried to kill one of the arresting officers, and Jesus told him to put his sword away. Let me pause here just for a moment, make a quick note. Jesus said, put your sword back into its place. Why? It was not the Lord's will that Peter die a martyr that day. It was the Lord's will that Peter live and serve him. But Jesus did not say, throw your sword away. He said, put it back into its sheath. Our method for converting the world is not through the use of the sword. Islam's method for converting the world is through the use of the sword. We will conquer you. We will hold the knife to your throat. You will either convert, submit, or die. That is not Christianity. With Christianity, we love on people. We preach the the love of, of, of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. His death, burial, and resurrection. The Holy Spirit convicts and convinces your heart. And you either say yes to Jesus or you reject Jesus. But there is no coercion in Christianity. However, this has nothing to do with self-defense or the defense of your country or turning the other cheek. Turning the other cheek is dealing with personal issues. It's not dealing with civil governing. Turning the other cheek means if you come up to me and say, I don't like your preaching, I'll say that's your prerogative. However, if you try to break into my home and do harm to my family, you will leave with more holes than you came with. But Peter thought, Peter thought up there at Gethsemane, I'll kill these men. Jesus said no. Ladies and gentlemen, we must be careful that when we don't get our own way that we use that as a reason to get mad at God and to abandon our faith and quit serving Him. How many times do you see people on television say, well, I was raised in that kind of a home, but my mother got sick early on, and I prayed that God would heal her, and he didn't. She died, and I've, and I've never forgiven him. I've chosen not to believe in God. Folks, don't doubt God. Paul recognized with his own maturity and understanding the reason for an affliction that he was suffering. Here was Paul, who God entrusted to author 14 books of the New Testament. We thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word, and we look forward to being with you next time for the conclusion of this message entitled, How to Fail the Lord. Until next time, may God bless you. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey in God's Word has been a blessing to you. 
You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, www.fairviewbaptistedmond.org or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.